It's the Eggship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the creator of the Eggship. It's a credentialed newsletter covering Utah State football and basketball, men's and women's, delivered to your inbox or available online at www.theeggship.com. It's $6 a month for the Eggship tier, $10 a month for the flagship tier, which is the film study tier, as well as the special Q&A once monthly podcast episode which I'm going to be recording at the end of this week. So if you're interested, now is a really good time, especially because uh, as you're listening to this on Tuesday morning or any time after that, you can get a pretty good deal on the egg ship if you are not already subscribed. I'm going to be putting up this week the... Let me get the exact phrasing. The Big Game Special, which is something I am stealing from my old newspaper, Buckeye Sports Bulletin. This is something that we would do ahead of rivalry games, top 10 matchups, things of that nature. Um, It's a pretty big week here at Utah State going into this week's game at BYU, Thursday night game, short week, kind of a tough time for a short week. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff on this this show. No media criticism this time. I've got just football talk, thankfully. I have not been (laughs) enraptured in in a question controversy this time, but if you're not subscribed to the Ag Ship and you would like to be, or you're interested and you want to get a deal, you, you want, you know, maybe six dollars a month is a little bit much. I understand. I, I totally get it. It's, it's it's six a month or sixty a year or ten a month and a hundred a year. Either one, I totally get it. It's it's a lot of money. It's a it's a big commitment to ask. Um, so the big game special is going to get you for a full year for for the next calendar year on an annual purchase it's going to get you 50 percent off either one of those the the six dollar tier which would make it thirty dollars for a full year subscription or the 100 dollar tier which would make it fifty dollars for a full year subscription this is only going to be available running tuesday through thursday once the game is over this special is 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 done it will return later in the season ahead of um Man, I guess the next big game is next week. Um, ahead of the Boise State game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. It's going to come back for the Boise State game. Uh, and maybe if another one comes up, then it will come back for that as well. But it will certainly be back for the Boise State game, which is rapidly looking not like a battle for the Mountain West, but for a battle uh, to avoid being at the bottom of the Mountain West Mountain, which is strange. Did not, did not see that coming. Uh, we will talk about that as well. But big game special. You can go to the egg ship, and I'm talking. I'm am t- saying this without knowing exactly how it's going to work. There's going to be a button in this post, in the podcast post. If you go to www.theagship.com and you click on the button that says "Big Game Special," that will get you 50% off your first year annual subscription to the egg ship. Um, I think it's a pretty good deal. If you want to ch- if you want to check it out, lots of good stuff going up. I just put up. For those of you in the flagship tier, a about 3,500-word film review on the passing game specifically, just the passing game, just the design of the passing game. What's wrong with it? What can be fixed? What can't be fixed? Who is to blame? There's a lot of people. A lot of people are to blame. Uh, I'm going to talk about that on this as well. But the story version, which is going to go much more in-depth than I possibly could here, is available right now on the website. That's for the flagship tier. You can get that for $50 a year rather than 100 if you go use the big game special button. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the deal for right now. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else to 
which is a huge cover story as well, which was only for paid members. If you're interested in that, I was pretty happy with it. The game notebook, of course. Game preview will be coming out here on Wednesday, hopefully. The depth chart will be coming out. That's for flagship tier subscribers on Tuesday. The film preview will be coming out on Thursday, also for flagship tier subscribers. Um, no player feature this week, maybe on Friday, maybe this weekend, but I just don't, I don't have time with the condensed week. I'm going to be honest. It, it has been a, it has been a week. <laughs> it's only Monday night. It has been a week. Um, I, I think I have, I don't, I don't, it doesn't really matter. Mo, mo, the vast majority of my waking time, the last two days has been spent working on stuff after this game. It, it has been... It has been a lot, and it's not going to get any quieter. So I just I don't have time for the player feature this week. Um, it will return next week. We're going to start to get some basketball coverage here at some point as well. Um, month of November is going to be difficult, I think. But we'll figure it out. As for the game itself, which I'm going to get to, shift into now, UNLV 34, Utah State 24. Utah State makes uh, somewhat of a comeback bid in the fourth quarter, cuts it to 10. Was driving to try and cut it down to <clears throat> one score, and Logan Bonner was stripped, uh, all but ending the game. They had one more drive, and that ended in a sort of desperation heave and an interception. His fifth of the game. He finished the game with finished the day with six turnovers. Um, there's probably not a better place to start than with him, with Logan Bonner, who has been the the topic once again of of much discussion, not much of it positive. Um, Sorry, I've got a stuffy nose. It is firmly allergy season. Even I, I can't escape it. I, I uh, not just an Ohio thing. It, it's everywhere for me. Uh, Logan Bonner finishes the day twenty-seven of forty-one passing for three hundred and thirteen yards and three touchdowns, but also threw five interceptions. He ran a couple times, six times for fourteen yards. Uh, sacked once. The final stat line is inflated a bit by a really, really great fourth quarter. He was 14 of 19 for a buck 86, I want to say. Off the off the top of my head, I think it was 186 that he threw for in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter passing-wise was really, really good from Utah State. I'm going to get to that. But the Logan Bonner discourse, I want to uh, just, just go straight in on it. I want to just talk about that straight up because I have watched – Every passing play from this game, I've diagrammed every passing play from this game. I have 45 plays in my little notebook here that I have drawn up. Not all of them counted as passes because they were there were penalties or he kept the ball or whatever it might be. But 45 plays that I counted as passes. Um, I diagrammed all of them. I looked at all of them. I made gifts of all of them. I talked about quite a few of them in that film review. I came out of this largely unmoved on my position on the passing game and on Logan Bonner. He did not play... I don't know where the best way to put this is. He didn't play well. He didn't play well. He had some really bad throws. He he made, especially in the first half, he made some really bad decisions. The back-to-back interceptions in the second quarter, I want to say, were both bad. Those were both on Bonner. Those were not necessarily play design. They were not wide receivers being open. Those were bad. They were bad interceptions. He he stared down his receiver, which is becoming a very, very troubling trend, I'd say, in watching watching the, the this uh this game is that he 
really seems to only look at one receiver on a lot, like almost every play. I don't know that I saw him progress to a second read once, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And I don't know if it's just that I can't see his eyes, and he is, but it doesn't look like it. It kind of looks like he's just watching one guy, and when the guy comes open, he throws the ball, and if the guy doesn't come open, he throws the ball. And it's um, It was not good. It was not good from Logan Bonner, and I came away from, from this, I guess, moved slightly in that he played worse than I thought he did. He he was worse in this game than he was against Weber State. He was forcing it more. I think that more of the mistakes were on him. There were reads, there were options that were open that he did not take, that he probably should have, that would have in some places changed the game and other places wouldn't have. Um, all of this is true. Two interceptions were distinctly on his shoulders. There were plays that he could have made that he didn't. There were reads that he could have made that he didn't. He doesn't seem to be going through his progressions. A lot of the plays I don't think he even has progressions to go through. I asked Blake Anderson about this, and he kind of uh, scoffed at it a little bit, but like I diagrammed all the plays, and a lot of them have one or two reads, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know how else it could really be looked at. I, I asked about half-field reads, and he sort of... Uh, seem to indicate that that's not something that they do very often, but they did it on like most plays in this game, and so I don't really understand. Uh, I don't really understand where that was coming from. Um, I disagree with 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 that, having gone through and watched this game, and I, I think that there are situations where he literally does just have one guy who he's looking at. He has a one on one situation. And he's waiting for the guy to come open, and he has too many of those. It, it, it really, personally, this is a personal offensive ideology thing, not a. Uh, uh, not a catch-all. I'm wrong frequently. Uh, I'm not a football coach. Personally, I don't like having one route on a play. I think it's a um, bad process. You have, like, really the top benefit you have as an offense, again, personal fi- opinion, is that you have guys who know the play and the defense doesn't. And when you take away the number of guys who have a thing to do on a play, you are taking away the, the advantage that you have and you are putting up a, uh, you know, just go win one-on-one and that's great when you have Devin Tompkins or Derek Wright. They don't. This team doesn't. And I think that that is a big issue in the passing game right now. But Logan Bonner in general, I don't think played as poorly as people think he did or has played as poorly as people think he has. I don't think he should be benched. Having watched the game, having watched every game, having rewatched every game, I've watched a lot of Utah State football this year. I've watched a lot of the passing game this year. I don't think he should be benched. I really don't. I I don't think that the biggest issues in this offense are his fault. There are things he is doing that are bad. The two interceptions, like I said, were bad. They were on him. He threw five in this game. One of them was on a Hail Mary at the end of the half. One of them was on a one-read play. It uh, it It was a hook and go against off coverage. One route, hook and go against off coverage. Think about that for a minute with a safety over the top. If you can blame the quarterback on that, then good on you. <laughs> I'm not, personally, I'm not going to. I don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that's a reasonable thing to ask of anybody. <laughs> it, was a, it was a Brian Cobb's hitch and go. Um, that's bad. That's bad play design. It's, it's bad play design, straight up. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I would say that to Anthony Tucker's face. It's bad play design. A, a one-route uh, play, it's a, it's a hitch-and-go against off-coverage for 
not one of the faster receivers on the team. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand that. Um, and so one of the interceptions came on that. The other one, Hail Mary, like I said, and then the fifth came on the last play of the game. Game was already in hand. I don't think it really matters. Uh, so I would credit Logan Bonner with two interceptions in this game. I don't think the other three were really his fault. Two is still too many. And he had the fumble as well, which was his fault. So what then, if not benching Logan Bonner for Cooper Lega, can Utah State do about this passing game, which is not good. It hasn't been good. It wasn't good until the fourth quarter. And once it was good in the fourth quarter, it was too late, and they could not fully stage a comeback. What can be done about this? Because it seemed like there were more individual victories in this game for the wide receivers. I think that that's fair. I think Justin McGriff made a couple really nice plays in in one-on-one situations. He had a really great catch in the back corner in the end zone. Had some really nice individual wins. Uh, Terrell Vaughn, man, is is a star. Terrell Vaughn is fantastic. I, I need to see him getting the ball even more. He had six receptions for 74 yards and two touchdowns. Two brilliant touchdowns. Fantastic touchdowns. Um, he He has been consistently very good over the last two weeks. I'd like to see more of him. I thought Nana Davis looked really good. Six receptions for 49 yards. Um, he is quick. He is sudden. He is a lot more sudden than his counterparts at wide receiver. I think that more of him would be beneficial. I'd like to see him in maybe some different route concepts than they gave him. I think that some of the stuff that they're giving him doesn't really make a ton of sense for him. Um, I think that you'd use his suddenness for underneath routes more than you use it for deep routes, personally. Uh, I, I think Terrell Vaughn's probably the better deep threat of the two. He has better hands, certainly, but uh, I, I, a lot of the stuff that I saw from Davis, specifically in the fourth quarter, was really encouraging. The hooks, the hitches, the drags, the stuff that they had him doing that was just quick underneath stuff, I think really suits him well, and I think he did a really good job with it. I was glad to see him get involved. Um, there were definitely improvements, from the receivers. I think that that's totally fair. There were also places that weren't very good uh, from the receivers. I think that they're still struggling in times to get separation in situations where they really should probably have separation. There are, you know, spots where they have inside leverage on a cross against man coverage. I'm thinking specifically of a Justin McGriff play on the first uh, drive of the game for Utah State. I'm going off the top of my head here, so if any of this play-by-play stuff is wrong, I apologize. Um, but it was a, it was a cross deep cross with a shallow cross underneath the idea being that you're going to try and stretch the linebackers and create an easy throw relatively down the field to McGriff's inside shoulder. If the linebackers bite on the inside crosser, if they get more vertical to defend McGriff, then you hit the inside cross, you hit the shallow cross for a, for a yards after the catch opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a good little design. I don't mind it. Um, and uh, McGriff had this. He was the deep crosser, like I said, and had single coverage. The linebackers bid in on the on the short, the shallow cross, and he gets McGriff gets inside leverage, has the chance. I think it was a really good throw. It was it was kind of a weird throw, but it was a really good throw. Goes up, doesn't really ever separate from the cornerback, even with the cut. Cut was kind of weak. Cut was not especially sudden goes up and can't shield the ball, can't shield the ball with his body enough to make the catch. He's 6'6", 215. I think he's got to make that play. And there were a couple situations like that where I think the receiver probably should have made the play and didn't, less so than we saw against Weber State. The receivers were better in this game. They were. Um, 
there are other things that aren't catching the ball or getting open that I am troubled about by these receivers. Specifically, their perimeter blocking is... <laughs> I try I try not to specifically, I don't know, uh, talk, talk negatively about the play of individuals. I, I try to focus a lot more on scheme stuff, on coaching stuff, because those guys are paid. Those are... Those are full-grown adults and professionals, and this is their job, and the players are, are college students. And in large part, I don't think that it's fair to put a lot of the, the issues on them when there are a lot more scheme issues generally than there are individual issues. But I say all that to say the perimeter blocking is embarrassing. It's really, really bad. It's really bad. It's bad in every situation from just about every wide receiver. And that is not acceptable. When you have two seniors out there, and I guess three seniors, I guess Terrell Vaughn is is a junior, but that you can't have it, you can't have it, and we saw, I saw it from Justin McGriff, I saw it from Cobbs, I saw it less so from Vaughn. Vaughn was putting forth effort. He's he's small and he's not going to be a super effective blocker. Same with Davis, but I saw effort from those guys. Um, Ron Tiavasu as well, the tight end. I, they were shorthanded at tight end, and I don't imagine that if that is the case, he will be playing. Or if that's not the case, he will be playing anymore because it was not a good game from him, uh, especially as a blocker uh, on the perimeter. It, it is it is an effort thing. Perimeter blocking is 100% effort. It is how much do you care about your teammates? How much do you care about setting them up with blocks? How selfless can you be in a position that does not usually ask you to be selfless? Wide receivers are it's not a selfish group wide receivers i'm not going to generalize but it's a selfish it's a selfish position by nature you are trying to get open to make a play yourself you are trying to beat you are trying to win one-on-one matchups to create plays on your own with your own talent and blocking on the outside is one of the only things that they have to do that is not focused around making a play on their own it's something that is for the sake of somebody else and these wide receivers, for whatever reason, are not doing it to an acceptable level. They're just not. They're not at all. Screens have essentially left this offense because there's no perimeter blocking. They are, guys are missing blocks. Guys are running towards the same defender, like three guys on the same play running at one defender. Uh, why, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Um, not really doing much of anything at all <laughs> in other circumstances, just kind of standing there. Um it's bad. The perimeter blocking is bad. It's bad on passing plays. It's bad on running plays. It cannot be it cannot be that bad. It really, really can. It is a small thing. But it is attention to detail. It is a sign of desire of effort level and it was bad. It was really bad in this game. Uh, consistently. I was not at all impressed with the perimeter blocking. And that has got to get better. That is a pure effort thing. Like I said, that's not like scheme it's not oh we don't have the talent to do it anybody can block anybody can block you got a body you can block that's it and they weren't and that's that's troubling um elsewhere in the passing game i say all this and i've not provided any solutions i don't think i'm really going to i'm not a coach like i said if i had solutions i probably wouldn't be doing this podcast i'd be in a you know football facility somewhere but the problems are several. There's a lot of them. There are many. There are issues with Bonner. He is, like I said, kind of fixating on one read. Pretty 
frequently. And some of those are designed, some of them aren't. I have not seen him move to uh, his second option very often. I have not seen him look from one side of the field to the other like ever. I don't think I have seen him do that once this season. <laughs> it's been a it's been a minute. It has been a lot of half field reads from him. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the backside isn't running routes. In a lot of cases they are. In other cases they aren't. But and that's that's part of this scheme and I, I get it. Um even if I, I disagree with it, I get it. But a lot of these concepts it's a pre snap read to determine the defenses look what they what you're expecting they're going to show if it's zone if it's man if it's off man whatever it might be uh if it's a blitz you're you're using that context to judge which half of the field's concept you want to focus on and i have seen a lot of that like almost exclusively that and and i think that he is he is experienced enough and old enough at this point that he really should be asked to do more in reading the defense i think that he has the ability, I think he has the experience that he should be able to read the whole field at this point. And, and why he isn't able to, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a, a worry about the offensive line. He has not been sacked very often this year, but it could be because he's only reading two players. Um, I don't know. But I, 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 don't, uh, I don't really understand that. He needs to be more active, I think, in reading the defense. That's part of it. I think his throws in general have been fine. I thought he was more mobile in this game than he has been in most parts I think physically he was fine in this game I really don't understand the desire to get Cooper Lega in the game other than just he's the backup quarterback and the backup quarterback is always the most popular person on campus um I don't understand it the rushing attack (laughs) it's not the issue here the rushing attack is also bad but having a running quarterback is not going to just like magically fix everything that Utah State is dealing with and also he doesn't throw the ball as well as Logan Bonner does and the passing game is already not good um I really don't understand the Cooper Lega stuff beyond like I said just it's an easy name to throw out there and the quarterback is like the main guy who you see every play when you're watching on TV um but I'm telling you guys I'm telling you I've, I've watched the games I've watched them a lot I'm really I'm not trying to sound sanctimonious here. I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, to talk down. I, I just, part of my goal here is, is I always, and this is my goal in everything that I do is I want to talk to people who are smarter than me to help create smarter fans. I want to be smarter as a journalist. I want to be smarter as a, as a football mind, as somebody who understands the game. And I try to talk to people who are experts in this stuff so that I can get a better idea of it, so that I can then share that with the people who consume the stuff that I make. And everything, everything that I have gathered from watching Logan Bonner this season is that the calls for Cooper Lega to be a starting quarterback on this team are wrong. They're wrong. I just, they just are. They just are, man. I get it. He had two bad interceptions. I get it. He's not reading the defense. I get it. It's not going to fix it. It's not. It's not going to fix it. And it's, uh, it, is a, it is a very, very, very easy thing to say when you are watching the game on television and you see the quarterback touching the ball on every play. It's the first thing you're going to think of. I get it. I have been there. I'm telling you, it's not Logan Bonner. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> the issues are a lot deeper than Logan Bonner. And changing quarterbacks is not going to do a single thing to fix them. Not a single thing. This is not a, an offense that features a running quarterback. 
and it is not a suitable solution to just like when your wide receivers aren't getting open, just put a quarterback back there who can run around. Logan Bonner's already struggling with holding on to the football for too long. I've watched Cooper Legat play. That's only going to get worse. <laughs> he is not not a quick trigger on that young man, I wouldn't say. And that's not the worst thing in the world, but for this offense, it's not ideal. That's something that he's still developing and something that is very much still a work in progress, and it's not there yet. I've seen him in games this season. It's not there yet. He's not quick enough on the draw. And that's not going to fix the passing game. It would make it worse. It would make it worse. You get a lot more of those desperation heaves, I think, and there's already too many of those in this offense. It's not Logan Bonner. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to expand on it anymore. It can change. I've been wrong before. He, he could totally prove me wrong, come out against BYU and look, look horrible and be the entire reason that they lose the game, but he has not been the cause of these, these last three games this whole season in general. He's just, he just hasn't been. He just hasn't been. I have, I have written out this weekend alone about 6,000 words about it. Um, I, have, I have GIFs, I have diagrams, I have stats, I have whatever you need to, uh, to, 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 to prove what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I promise. It's not, it's not Logan Bonner, and, and swapping a mat's not going to fix it. I'm, I'm sorry. I know that that is the most attractive solution. It is the easiest solution. If it was just that, it would be wonderful. You just swap out quarterbacks, and Utah State's back to, to title contention. That's the dream, you know, is it just uh, we we'll just make one change, put a Band-Aid on it, stop the bleeding, and now you can get going again. And it, it's, it's extremely, extremely attractive to be thinking that way, and I'm just, it's not true. It's just not true. It would not make things any better. The best case scenario is that read options would start working. And that's, um, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. It's it's moving deck chairs around. It, it it is missing the forest for the trees. It's cut. It's it's uh you know cutting off your nose to spite your face. It's any number of of uh <laughs> of of idioms. It's all that go to say it is not going to get the job done in the way that I think people were hoping it would. It just isn't. It's not going to do anything. Um, especially at the risk of potentially creating a rift in the locker room. We don't know the dynamics there. Logan Bonner's established. He is an established veteran starting quarterback. And moving away from that kind of guy is always going to be a risk, especially if you don't have a great reason to do it. And I just, I don't think Utah State does at this point. I have not, I have not seen a great reason to do it. I don't think that the five interceptions are representative of how he played in this game. He didn't play well. He didn't throw five interceptions on his own. That was not his. That was those those the three of those. I would not blame on him. Interceptions are not the only stat here. I get it, but the issues here are a lot deeper than Logan Bonner. So, what are the issues if they're not just Logan Bonner? Um, the one route and two route combinations I have talked about. I don't like those. Um, just personally, I think that they are. <sighs> football ideas for a team with better receivers than this, to be blunt, um, to be very blunt. I think that they are absolutely fantastic when you have Derek Wright and Devin Tompkins running them. And Blake Anderson said as much. He said, you know, this is what we did last year too. When I asked about the, the, you know, the half field reads and stuff like that, he said, this is what we did last year and we had success with it. They did. He's right. They did. There's a reason for that. There's a very, there's a very good reason for that. There are two very good reasons for that. And both of them are going to be playing on Sundays 
it's a shame that they're not now because <laughs> they're both Sunday players. They're not here anymore. I don't see a Sunday player currently established on this roster. I think Terrell Vaughn could get there. I think Nana Davis could get there. Um, I'd love to see Xavier Williams at some point. I don't really know what the deal is there. Um, I, I can't, uh, I, I can't speak to that. It's weird that we haven't seen him. that's uh, sort of the extent of my opinion on it. I I can ask, I'm going to try and talk to a couple coaches tomorrow after practice. I can ask then, but, uh, it's, it's, it's weird that we haven't seen him. I don't know what is going on there. He seems to have fallen out of the lineup pretty much entirely after not really being in it at all, even to begin with. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what the deal was there, but, there are some play design issues that I don't like. I think that it took Utah State a really long time in this game, specifically against UNLV, to just take what it was given and to accept that UNLV, pretty much after the first quarter, was just playing off man. They were giving up a ton of space because they knew that a lot of these plays were going to try and attack vertically. And if they just played vertically, then there was nothing that Utah State could do about it. They were dropping linebackers into passing lanes to interrupt any of the across-the-middle stuff, and they were basically just daring Utah State to attack the outside on the perimeter, to take short passes to the outside, to take hooks, to take outs, to do things like that, and Utah State just didn't. And then in the fourth quarter, when the game was on the line, they did. They, they threw, I think, nine plays went to primary, the primary read, and the ball went to a curl or a hook or a hitch, which are all, or a comeback, which are all basically the same thing. It's the same idea. It's just different depths in the way that you run them. But when I say any of those, understand that they're fairly interchangeable in what I'm talking about. Nine of 19 passes in the fourth quarter. Eight of them were complete. Um, they kept the offense on track. They kept it moving. They allowed it to be the the up-tempo and, 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 and pacey offense that it wants to be. With those those quick passes, they got some yards after the catch opportunities. And then, crucially, as the quarter continued on, the defense started to respect them more. They started to play more into the flats. They started to play tighter. Those off-man coverages started to buy more into hooks. They started to tighten up a little bit. Because that's what you do when you get beat by the same thing eight times in nine plays. And Utah State took advantage by having fakes off of it by having those hitch and goes by having Terrell Vaughn run a really really beautiful fake cross into a go that uh, froze the safety that was covering him they had a safety in coverage in general on Terrell Vaughn which is not what you want as a defense Um, and he blew past him for a touchdown great catch great play set up by taking what was given to him and that was sort of the entire story of the fourth quarter was just they took what was given to him and then when the defense changed what they were giving it they took the new thing. They set up those big plays. They earned them. It has felt a lot to me at times this season, like Utah State is trying to generate big plays without earning them, trying to generate big plays without really understanding how it created them last year. And I think part of that is that it, in a lot of times, didn't really have to earn them last year. It just could throw the ball up and Devin Tompkins would make a play. And I think that that has has created some stagnation in the passing attack, some laziness in the passing attack, the way that it's designed uh, to just, you know, early on in the game think, well, we're just going to attack vertically and we're going to win the matchup one-on-one and go get a 50-50 ball and win the game like that. And this 
personnel group I just don't think can do that like that. And I think that it needs to be set up. I think it needs to be set up with rhythm throws to get Bonner involved, to get him into the game, force the defense in, take what the defense is giving you. This is all very simple stuff. I'm not giving actual advice beyond just play well. Um, Taking what the defense gives you is not football advice. It's non-actionable. But it's true. And that's what they did in the fourth quarter. It's very simple. They just took what the defense was giving them. They spread the ball out a little bit more and made the defense cover more of the field. And then they hit the holes that were open from the defense having to cover more of the field. Opened up the running game, as did playing Robert Briggs, which should be the default at running back, I think, because he's very, very good. I don't know why he's not seeing the field more. Um, But I, I think that that's the big thing on the offense is just understanding the limitations of this passing game and understanding that, yeah, you're going to have to set some stuff up. You know, you're going to have to do more routes and concepts that put the defense in conflict and that might take a tiny bit longer, but that put the defense in conflict, that force man coverage situations into, you know, defenders being out of position because of the routes that you called and because of the, the concepts that you have and, and that, that scheme receivers open and, we saw some of it. We saw a lot of it in the fourth quarter, more than we did at any other time in the game. But I think that a lot of the passing attack was still limited by this same issue of just a lack of creativity in the play design, uh, a lack of cohesion. It, it didn't feel like things were really connected until the fourth quarter. It was just sort of calling plays for the sake of it. Um, there was some stuff that I thought was tied together well in a way that made sense, some play action stuff. But it uh, it hasn't felt cohesive in the passing game really until the fourth quarter this season. I thought the fourth quarter was absolutely the best reflection of what this passing game should and could be. You're not going to have off-man coverage that consistently, but there are ways to create easy passes against tighter man coverage, and they showed some of them in the fourth quarter. They had opportunities, and they, they did it where they had stacked formations. They had motion. They had things like that, and they were able to create these open passes that they've not created earlier on in games. I want to see those in the first quarter, not in the fourth. I think that that's the big thing for me is just, you know, you got accepting what you are and, and understanding that these guys are going to need a little bit help, a little bit of help in creating separation and then in creating those big plays. They can't just be taken anymore. They have to be earned. And it's not ideal. It's much better to just take big plays. You love to just take big plays. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the dream. <laughs> I'm just going to send a go route and we're going to go win it. That's easy. That's super easy. That's the best you can do right there. I mean, that's that's uh, that's an offensive coordinator's dream, and they just can't do that this year, I don't think. And and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a shift, but like I don't know. You you look at uh, you look at what Tennessee does, which is Josh Heupel, which is the the tree from which Anthony Tuck, Anthony Tucker comes. He's he is from that tree, and Tennessee puts guys in conflict. They make easy throws for Hendon Hooker. They take vertical shots. They take a lot of vertical shots, and they win more of them than Utah State is, but they also earn those vertical shots. They set them up. They take what a defense gives it. It's a, it's a clever, cohesive offense, and they have answers, and I think that Utah State has answers in the playbook. I think that they have suitable things that can do all of this, but it just hasn't felt like they have understood fully why they need to do it or have committed fully to needing to do this. They, it seems like there's still some remnants of thinking that this offense is last year's offense, and I think that that is a big problem in the passing game right now. And I think once the passing game gets going, if it does, it's going to open up the rushing attack. I'm not especially worried about the rushing attack, I'm going to be honest. I, it should be better than it is, but I, 
there the issues there I think are pretty tied to the passing game uh, and I think would be fixed largely by the passing game being better than it is um, I would like to see a little bit like I said last week more creativity in the running game I would like to see a lot more Robert Briggs in the running game but I, I think in general I don't have a ton of huge concerns about it um, yeah I think that's about it on the offense that I have would like to see more Xavier Williams as well I don't know what the problem is there. Maybe there's something that I'm not privy to, but uh, everything that I know makes me think that I want to see more Xavier Williams. So we'll, we'll see. Defensively, I thought they played really well. I don't have a ton to say about the defense. I thought the line was good. Um, the loss of Sini Tuiaki is, is difficult. That's, that's another tough one. Didn't have Byron Vaughns. I thought that they handled all of that really well relative to the the situation they really really did a good job against the UNLV rushing attack which is very good I thought that they they were um, strong against Aiden Robbins in general I think that they the the third and longs were frustrating um, but they only surrendered what was it find the actual stat here god there are so many stats in a stat book uh third down conversions five of 16 that's not the worst thing in the world and granted I think two of those third and 11s became fourth and ones that they then converted, one on a penalty, one on a run. But I, the defense, I thought, played well. I thought it played with energy. I was pretty pleased with the defense. It was on the field too much, which is why the final score was was what it was. And seven of those points were entirely not the defense's fault. Really, 10 of them were not the defense's fault. Um, when you count the the 50 free yards on the on the kickoff after that first half touchdown, which is uh, something else that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to end on here. But uh, I thought the defense played well. A couple of things specifically on players that I was a little bit frustrated with or confused by, specifically at safety, uh, looking at snap counts for this game. Dominic Tatum, 10 snaps defensively. In those 10 snaps, he had two tackles, both of which I believe were for loss. One was sack. He played a lot on like the first two series of the game and then not really anymore beyond that and then Ike Larson who blocked another punt he's wearing a leg brace which I think can explain some of this but he didn't log a defensive snap um I don't know I I think that uh even with the defense putting up a pretty good performance here I just cannot shake the feeling that those guys need to be on the field every play defensively if they are healthy enough to do it there's I just I think they both need to be out there and I understand that that means taking two starters off the field. Personally, if I'm looking at this defense, if I'm assessing it bluntly, if I'm if I'm looking player to player and picking out places where I think you could take a guy off the field for a Dominic Tatum, for an Ike Larson, um, Dominic Tatum would be my starting striker, and Ike Larson would be taking over for Gervin Hall. Um, I think you could still play Kaleo Neves and, and Amario Kike and, and Hall, but... Gervin Hall should have gotten called for a 15-yard penalty in this game that he didn't. He has been on the verge quite a few times this season. Um, <laughs> I don't think that he adds enough to justify having that out there, whereas I think Dominic Tatum is a really, really good option. I think that Ike Larson would take over for Hall as a true safety, and I think he'd do really well. And Tatum is big enough to play striker, and I think he'd do a really good job with it. Uh, that's that's how I would do it, personally. I think that those two are deserving of starting jobs. I'm not really sure why they don't have them at this point. I know I, I, the injuries have to be considered, and I think that they're probably a big part of it, but I disagree with the lack of playing time for those two. I think they're two of the best defenders on the team, and I really, really want to see more of them. Um, 
Okay. Let's talk about the mistakes. Let's talk about the unforced errors. And specifically, the 11 penalties for 93 yards, I think, off the top of my head again. Yeah, 93 yards. Three straight games now with 11 penalties. This is somehow the least yards of the bunch. It would have been more if Jamie Nance's, um, I don't know what the phrase would be, uh, back-to-back consecutive 15-yard penalties on one play had been enforced. It would have been 13 for uh, whatever, 123. I think that I don't think it counted. I don't think that they counted. Maybe they did. They didn't go to anywhere. They didn't. Uh, they didn't actually count for anything. Maybe they didn't count. I don't know. Um, but regardless, the penalties are are bad. It's a lot like the uh, the blocking on the perimeter. It's an effort thing, and it's a it's a composure thing, where. A lot of these penalties were unsportsmanlike conducts. They were they were silly mistakes that didn't need to be made. They were talking after the play. They were <clears throat> pushing guys after the play, headbutting, um, standing over guys, blocking for way too long, taking things too far. Um, Blake Anderson said after the game that he had issues with staffers and players or staffers yelling at referees. They're just is not they're they're not supposed to be doing that. Uh, he said today at his press conference that players were also being too vocal with referees. You could see it. Um, that is an issue for sure. The discipline is an issue. There are, you know, there were a, a couple of, of situations in this game where it was just like a comedy of errors. Uh, third and seven becomes third and 17 on two false starts. And go to punt, punt the ball off. Jamie Nance arrives. I mean, like a whole second early and hits the hits the punt returner. There were booing. There was booing in the stadium <laughs> of that call, and uh, it's. I think that the that the thinking was that the review after the play was of the 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 penalty to see if he had arrived early. Um, watching that on the replay, not in the stadium, but like rewatching the game, um, he got there like a whole second early. It was not. <laughs> It was not even close. It was really, it was really, really egregious. It was really bad from from him. It was not good timing. And then he got called for an unsportsmanlike conduct afterward, um, which would have been a thirty yard penalty consecutively had they had they enforced it. But of course they go and review, and actually the 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 uh, Stephen Cotson Lee's knee touched the ground when he went to punt. So UNLV gets the ball at the ten yard line, punches it in three plays later, and Utah State probably loses Cindy Tuiaki for the season in the scrum on that touchdown on third down. Um, just a comedy of errors. Just, just uh, unforced unforced errors, giving up a free touchdown, um, suffering a very, very bad injury over no for no reason. Unforced errors. Um, and then at the end of the first half, I mentioned earlier, I alluded to the score of the touchdown. Great catch from Terrell Vaughn. Um, Jacob South has called for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct for like headbutting a defender. Justin McGriff has called for unsportsmanlike conduct. I don't know exactly what for. It seemed like he was jawing with somebody. Maybe I didn't see physical contact. I would guess he said something. I was down there, but I did not. Uh, I did not hear anything that he that he said or, or see who it was directed at or anything. He in general needs to maybe tone down the celebrations a little bit because he doesn't really celebrate happily. He kind of celebrates angrily and can get in trouble for that sometimes, like he did here. So there is combined 30 yards just on the kickoff. They kick off. 
fielded at the 27, taken back 23 yards, I want to say, to the 50, which gets another five yards because somehow Kalionis was offside on a kickoff. I don't know how you even do that. I, I don't know how you could be offsides on a kickoff. But he did it. They pulled it off. And then on the first play of the drive is a 15-yard penalty. So there's 50 free yards given. UNLV earns 22 yards on the drive, gets a field goal out of it. Um, three free points just given away for, for nothing, for no reason. Not productive penalties. Not uh, not valuable. Didn't add anything. These are not pass interferences that stopped the touchdown. These are not holdings that prevented the quarterback from getting sacked. These are not anything. These are useless penalties. Just not, they don't need to be there. They don't serve a purpose. They are frustration penalties. They are energy penalties. They are, uh, is uh, not to sound dismissive. If you are celebrating a touchdown to go down eight against a team that's two and 16 in the last two seasons, so much so that you get an unsportsmanlike conduct, you need to do some reflection, I think. (laughs) <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. It's uh, You shouldn't get it at any time, but good Lord, there's not that much to celebrate, man. Come on. It's not... <laughs> settle down a little bit. Have some have some, some awareness of the situation that you're in. It's 24-7. It's 24-16. It's UNLV. You're going you're gonna to yell at somebody in the stands <laughs> for that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that... Uh, I don't know how it gets to that point. It doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Emotions run high, I guess. The penalties have to get better. I thought the energy of the team was better, in general, um, and that's something to build on. I thought the passing game in the fourth quarter is something to build on. The young guys keep impressing me whenever they get the chance to play. I thought John Ward looked good. I'll mention him as well. I'd like to see more of him on the defensive line. He had two pressures and seven snaps. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. That's that's pretty much as as good as you could ask for. I think there were hurries, not even pressures, hurries. I thought he looked good. I'd like to see more of him. I think that they don't really have much of a choice at this point. You'll probably have to see more of him. Um but uh yeah, there are things to build on here, things that are positive, things to uh to work with moving forward, and then a lot of things that need to be fixed, a lot of things that need improvement, a lot of things that Probably should be better at this point than they are. Are there things that seem like maybe just there needs to be a reckoning with what this team is and isn't, uh, which I think is disappointing that that didn't happen during the bye week. Personally, uh, I, I would I would have expected a little bit more maybe self reflection on on what this team is to not be. I know I keep coming back to this example, but sending Brian Cobbs on a hitch and go against off coverage without ever throwing a hitch before that. I I would think that two weeks would be enough to realize that he's not going to get open on that play. I don't know. I I would think that would be enough, but I I understand that, you know, the plays are what they are. But I, I just... I think there needs to be more reflection done within some of this stuff on what these guys can and can't do, what this program can and can't be this season, what the offense can and can't be. And they've got, uh, as I as I record now, they've got two more days to try and get some of that stuff done. I think that they will probably be improved again against BYU. I don't know how much it's going to matter because I think BYU is quite a bit better. Um, but if the passing game can look somewhat consistent, if the defense can bring energy without being called for penalties, if the offense can bring energy without being called for penalties, if the effort levels are high, if the guys are in the right place, if 
the turnovers are cut down, penalties are cut down. It's a lot of ifs. But if we see that stuff against BYU in a loss, I think that you come out of that fairly optimistic because BYU is better than any team in the Mountain West by magnitudes of, of, of quality. I mean, it's not even close. The Mountain West, I, I think, has maybe one good team in Fresno State, and they don't have their quarterback. Um, Air Force, I think, is good but but can be gotten. And then everybody else I have absolutely no confidence in at all. Uh, Boise State just lost its quarterback and its offensive coordinator. Wyoming doesn't have any talent on its roster. It's physical. Does not have any players who are talented. Um, New Mexico, obviously, don't need to worry about them. Hawaii, don't need to worry about them. San Diego State can't score. Uh, Colorado State's maybe the worst team in college football. It's a murderer's row, really. And I think that if you show signs of improvement, if we see signs of improvement from Utah State in this game, that would be encouraging, moving into conference play full-time. I think that there would be reasons for confidence. Will there be after a 1-4 and start? Probably not. It'll probably be more calls for Logan Bonner to get benched. But... I think if we're being reasonable, if we're being reasonable about the expectations heading into this game and heading into the rest of the season, improvement in those areas, continued energy, more consistency in the passing game, more willingness to take what is given and to to play to the strengths of this roster instead of the strengths of last year's roster. If we see that, I think that that's, that is more than enough reason to be happy, even in something like a 48 to 24 loss. You put 30 on BYU, I think you're feeling great. I don't expect it. But I think you'd be feeling great. Um, and so that's what I'm going to be looking for. And I'll, I'll talk about that in the preview. But uh, interesting weekend. Interesting weekend. Hope that you all have enjoyed the content that I have put out. I'm sorry for this podcast being kind of abrasive, I guess. Um, that's what the podcast is going to be. I'm, I'm venting here. <laughs> I don't have a podcast partner to keep me on track, so I'm just going to end up venting on most of these. Uh, but hopefully it has still been listenable and valuable in, in some way at the egg ship on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn is probably less important. If you are interested in this show, I don't do a ton of stuff for Utah state on my personal account. It's more on the, on the outlet account, www the egg ship again, big game special. If you are interested, um, and we will talk on Thursday morning, probably we'll see. Hopefully I'll have time to uh, to get that recorded. I will I will have to do it before Thursday because I'm taking the bus or the uh, the train on Thursday down to Provo, so I won't have a ton of time. And I'm not recording a podcast on a train. I, I <laughs> it's a bridge too far for even me. I'm gonna write stuff on the train, but I'm not recording a podcast there. A bunch of other normal people don't need to hear what I'm what, I, <laughs> what I'm talking about on here. They don't need to get the the BYU preview from me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be back Wednesday night or Thursday morning here. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you telling a friend, uh, supporting the outlet, supporting the show, supporting me. Thank you.